0: Good morning, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual and spirited group dedicated to the search for truth and meaning, and we like to have fun. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone, and so we greet the divine in our midst on a Sunday morning by turning to the person to our right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you join me in the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good
1: morning. The opening words are an Apache blessing. May the sun bring you new energy by day. May the moon softly restore you by night. May the rain wash away your worries. May the breeze blow new strength into your being. May you walk gently through the world and know its beauty all the days of your life.
0: Sometimes when we wonder what we are doing here, we remind ourselves by looking at our mission. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
1: The meditation reading is by Nancy Wood. My help is in the mountain where I take myself to heal the earthly wounds. I find a rock with sun on it and a stream where the water runs gentle and the trees which one by one give me company. So I must stay for a long time. Until I have grown from the rock And the stream is running through me And I cannot tell myself from one tall tree Then I know that nothing touches me Nor makes me run away My help is in the mountain That I take away with me
0: Now is our time of meditation and prayer where we speak to God as we understand God or listen to the inner wisdom that is in us or just to our breath coming in and out of our bodies. We enter the wise silence together with the understanding that in this congregation, the small sounds of life and tiny noises from babies are part of the silence. Thank you. We all know that those who serve in such a way have experienced things that the rest of us can only imagine. When we think about having a hard year, some of us have no idea. And yet, many among us feel like we've had a hard year. I have a friend on Facebook who is a minister and she said she saw the news last Sunday about the shooting in Sutherland Springs and she said I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't I could not have any emotional reaction to that mass shooting and it scares her. And I think that many of us have had that experience of Outrage fatigue or compassion fatigue, or you, it's pretty, Um, and you see the outrage on Facebook. You you see other people saying, enough, enough, and you go, no, it's not enough. It's apparently not enough. And you see people saying, oh, we had a moment of silence, and we uh, sent our thoughts and prayers. And you see other people saying, thoughts and prayers, we're not doing that anymore. It doesn't. We need to do legislation. And it's true. Um, legislation would do something. But you feel almost, I mean, you watch Mayor Bloomberg try to do stuff about it. You watch the Giffords try to do something about it. And sometimes you go, yeah, and you send them a check. And sometimes you go, you guys are so naive. Nobody's gonna fix this, and that's a terrible feeling. And so, what we want to do as as activists is is sing with our whole heart the Holly Near song. I don't know if you know it. Goes, um, I am open and I am willing. For to be hopeless would feel so strange. It dishonors. Those who've gone before us, so lift me up to the light of change. And you sing it with your whole heart, and you want to be willing, and you want to be open, and you don't want to be hopeless. And yet, when I see a friend of mine speaking in such a way, I can't muster an emotional response to anything. Not the outrage, not the outrage over the lack of outrage, nothing. I think about the experiments that I learned about as a psych major at Duke about learned helplessness. And I'm not going to tell you about the experiments because they're very upsetting. But needless to say, uh, the, the upshot of it is if you hurt a being randomly enough... And give them no way to change it, no way to lessen it, no way to see when it's coming. Just a continuous random assault of shocking things. They eventually just give up and lie down. And even then, if you give them a way out, if you open the door to the cage or make half the cage not painful, um, they don't don't notice because they've given up. And that's learned helplessness, and I worry about that with with us. And I hear from you that you want to you want to work and you want to fight. And some of you are all in, and some of you are um, very practical about it, and some of you are very emotional about it, and um, and some of you have just checked out and not watch the news anymore and not um, do much work anymore because what's the use? And some of us just feel like Captain Picard every morning we wake up and we go, damage report. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's scary because... Oh, I read in the Washington Post... I think it was yesterday, Masha Gessen, who uh, was an enemy of Putin's and moved to the States. She writes, we have settled into a constant low-level dread, a state in which one can function but can hardly be creative or look into the future. This constant low-level dread. And, And yet we... We still muster the strength to sing. I am willing and I am open. I'm open and I'm willing. (laughs) Sing with me if you like. I am open and I am willing. For to be hopeless would seem so strange. Be hopeless would seem so strange. It dishonors those who go before us. It dishonors. Those who go before us, so lift us up to the light of change. To the light of change. Yeah, we want to sing it, and we want to sing it open-heartedly, and we don't want to go, I'm tired. And so we do our things, and we... We fight our fights, and we make our phone calls, and we show up, and we make emails, and we go to meetings, and we protest, and we make, um, we have gatherings, and we plan, and sometimes we just go, I am, I am, I am sad. And so some of us have to fall back from the front lines every now and then and let other fresher people go forward. For example, I moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina in my mid-20s, and I got there and found that there was no battered women's shelter at all. And I thought, there needs to be one here. That's just weird. And I read in the paper that there was a woman who was being paid by the United Way to attempt to organize one. And I went to the meeting, and there was uh, the woman who was being paid and a social worker who was a friend of hers and me. And they talked about the shelter they wanted to start. And the social worker just said, I, I just can't. I'm, I am tired. And my little heroic 26-year-old self, I'm like, I'm not tired. Let's do it. And so we put together a network of private homes. It was called the Shelter Available for Emergencies, Safe Homes. And we would drive the women to these homes in our cars. And, um, and after about a year, the police came on board And and so we would meet women at the police station instead of at Cleveland Park, where I had met people wherever they wanted to be met. And I thought, after I met this one woman, um, she she jumped in the car and slammed the door and said, Drive! My husband is back there with a gun! And I was, so I, you know, put the pedal to the metal and drove. And I, I was thinking, this is probably not the smartest way to do this. And so we hired an executive director and then rented a house. And now it's this huge, thriving operation. But after four years as president of the board, I was burned out. I was burned out to the point where if I saw an envelope from this organization in my mail, I could not touch the mail. This envelope would just sit there throbbing evilly with guilt And demand, no, I'm not touching you. You're out of my life. You're dead to me. And what I had done was quit because I forgot to rest. I forgot to rest because the work was so important. It was important. Who can rest when the work is important? We have to learn to rest rather than quit. So I, um, I want to tell you that the shadow side of activism is burnout. And what we're doing with these songs about numbness and checking out is whistling past the graveyard. You know, when you're dealing with the shadow side of something, you've got to look at it and understand where it is, and you just whistle past it. Because you can't ignore it or it'll get you. And you don't want to just look full in its face and wallow in it. But you do want to know it's there. And laughing at it or treating it lightly um, will get you scolded by some people, but it will save your life. Hear me? You have to rest. And you have to not feel guilty for resting. Here's what Thomas Merton wrote. He's a contemplative Roman Catholic author. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, To commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone and everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes root work fruitful. And you have felt that before. I think probably you get in such a frenzy of work that your nerves get raw and you get a little reactive to things. And you might put things on Facebook which were unwise to put on Facebook. Or you might say something to a friend which is not the kindest thing you ever wanted to say to your friend. It's important to rest. And if you are... Um, struggling with addiction, what the 12 step people say is that rest is really, really important because your addiction is most powerful when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt. So you feed yourself and you get some friends and hang out and you don't let yourself get too tired. I see you nodding. I know that makes sense to you and I'm glad. Last spring, I was felled by something which would not respond to intellect, will, wit, effort, or cussing. (laughs) It just was there. And it was going to take a long time. And there was a lot I had to do every day. But it didn't feel like fun stuff. And I threw the I Ching, which is a book of wisdom, a Chinese book of wisdom. You are all familiar with it. And here's what it said to me. Things are not going to go the way you want them to. Let go of making goals. Instead, pay attention to the process. No goals. Process. Every day, do what you need to do. The next day, wake up and do what you need to do. Don't think about the goals. Just do what you need to do. And I think that helped me because it freed up enough of my mind so that I could fight off the despair that is so much a part of having something happen to you that's that random and horrible. And they kept offering me antidepressants. (laughs) Which are wonderful, by the way. If you take them, that's great. I just didn't feel depressed. I felt mad, and um, and I felt like I had to use probably 75% of my brain just to keep from going down the despair drain. And yet, that advice from the I Ching helped immensely. Forget goals. Pay attention to process. And I see people do that in politics, in political work. I have several friends who run campaigns or, you know, we'll have a meeting and they're in a town in South Carolina, and they'll go, who shall we run for mayor? And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know anybody there anymore. I can't run the town from here. <laughs> I'm in Austin, Texas. And there are lots of people running this town, so I don't have to pay attention to it. But um, they are very steady people, and they... Their candidate wins, and they nod and go, good, let's do the next thing. Their candidate loses, and they nod, and they go, okay, we have name recognition now. We'll run next time. On to the next thing. They're very steady. And I've been reading Dan Rather's new book called What Unites Us, and he has a whole chapter on steady, just being steady. His his dad, when uh, he was a little kid, Dan Rather had rheumatic fever, and his dad would come in and sit by his bed and say, steady, Danny, Steady. And that shaped his whole life. And I love the idea of being steady, and it has a lot of appeal to me. But I also like rejoicing and lamenting. That has a lot of appeal to me, too. I can't just be steady all the time. And I'm not sure that that's not just kind of a a dream of some people's DNA. You know, I have a certain amount of stoic DNA, and you just want to be steady. But then sometimes you have party DNA, and you just want to... Um, rejoice when things go well, and go yay we won, or oh, we didn't win. Yeah, let's have a let's weep together and tear our clothes, and um, that feels real also. And so I don't have any answer about which is better. I don't think it's a matter of that. I just think it's a matter of finding the right mix for yourself. Some people just aren't comfortable rejoicing, you know, and that's okay. They feel like it's dangerous. Don't let me get too happy now. I I I watched the British baking show. I I know some of y'all do too. There's this wonderful guy named Ian on one of the seasons, and he goes, "I'm just feeling. I'm feeling dangerously happy." (laughs) And I think I've got that DNA. I know what you're talking about. I know you. So what I'm trying to say is. When we work, when we want to be willing and open, we have to remember to rest. We have to remember to fall back. We have to remember that checking out if we have the option is okay sometimes. And we have to remember that if we are not from people who are used to struggling all the time, we need to sit at the feet of people who are used to a constant long struggle. And hear them tell us the wisdom that comes from being in a long struggle. And hear them tell us if the eviction notice is on your door, you still have your birthday party. Because you can't put off the joy. You have to have your joy even in the midst of struggle. Some people are so serious. You know, I I applied one time to be the humor columnist for Mother Jones. (laughs) And they were like, we don't have a humor column. I'm like, I know. (laughs) As Emma Goldman said, if I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution. Don't forget the joy. I want to end with this poem by a woman named Judy Brown. It's called Fire. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood, When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. And in the midst of all of this, we need to remember to comfort one another and dance with one another and sing with one another. Let us say together the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. And please sing with me one last time as I mangle Holly Nears' song. I am open and I am willing for to be hopeless. For to be hopeless. seems so strange. Would it seem so strange. It dishonors. It dishonors. Only